It is an incredible privilege for me to be with you um, for two reasons. One, I'm hoping that by the time this chapel service is over, those clouds will lift and I'll see the glorious mountains of Colorado Springs that we don't have the privilege of seeing in Kansas City. But also, I attended a Bible college myself when I was college uh, age, which in this arena could be age 18 to 90, similar to the college I went to. And people that I attended school with were people like you who were dedicating their lives to service, either in the capacity of students or teachers or faculty and staff members. And I attended a Bible college in University Park, Iowa. I'm going to talk about University Park just a little bit. And uh, it's funny because I was sitting around a table with some Nazarene leaders one day and just talking about this obscure place called University Park, Iowa. And uh, Dr. Matson said, oh, I know exactly where that's at. And I was like, it's a small world. Um, but largely, the reason I am considering a privilege to be with you today is because I get to talk to you about an incredible ministry that the Church of the Nazarene has been a part of for almost 40 years. So undoubtedly, some of you in this room have heard about this countless times. Maybe you've participated as a, um, a participant yourself at one point. Youth in Mission is part of the World Mission Mobilization Center, and we equip young people to spend eight weeks of ministry cross-culturally. And we have this year, in 2006, we'll have sites in the U.S. as well as in 24 other world areas. Um, 34, 35 different ministry sites. And most of the participants that are involved with Youth in Mission are generally between the ages of 18 to 25. However, if we've, as we've gone around college campuses across the U.S. and Canada promoting this ministry, we've discovered that sometimes there's people outside of that kind of spectrum that um, are wanting to commit their lives, at least a portion of their lives, to short-term mission service. And so we're developing other opportunities through Mission Corps, which used to be known as Nazarenes and Volunteer Service, to involve young people and young adults and career-age adults as well in short-term service. So um, hopefully I'll get a chance to talk with you if uh, something strikes a chord in your heart today. One of the um, privileges for me to talk about youth and mission is not only because we want students and young people and young adults to respond and to go, but also in this um, environment to let the church know what's happening and what you're a part of that you're part of something bigger than Colorado Springs, or bigger than Colorado, or bigger than the U.S., that there are young people from around the world that are participating in, in giving their lives to short-term mission service. This last year, we had um, actually more students from outside of the U.S. participating in youth and mission than we did students from the U.S. that went out. We had 125 students uh, in the U.S. that went to different world areas, and outside of the U.S., we had 143 uh, young people that committed their life, a portion of their summer, to short-term mission service. So we're part of something really significant that's making a difference in the world. I'd like to borrow just a moment of your life today. It won't take very long. I don't want to sell you something that you don't need. In fact, I don't even want to pressure you into committing something um, that you don't even believe in. Some of you know the track that God has called you on. You have your course set, and you're ready to go. You say, wherever, whenever, I'll go, Lord. So this, hopefully, will be a time of confirmation for you. Others of you are probably in that investigating stage, waiting for the what's next. I talked with uh, somebody this morning who said they're senior, and I said, what's next? And he said, well, the big question mark. We'll see. 
I want to tell you actually a couple of stories, and hopefully there'll be something that you can identify with through these. I remember when I was a kid, probably about six or seven years old, growing up in this small town called University Park, Iowa, home to about 300 people. And when school is in session, the college I went to is called Vanard College. When school's in se session, um, it goes up to about 400 people. So, <laughs> 100, 100 student university. Um, and University Park is actually a suburb, as we call it, of the greater metropolitan area of Oskaloosa, home to 12,000 people. University Park was the kind of place where moms and dads let their kids roam around the community for hours on end. They didn't have to worry about uh, where they were or who they were with. Everyone knew everyone else and everyone took care of everyone else's kids. In fact, it was the kind of place where if there was somebody's mom who was making Kraft macaroni and cheese for dinner, that's where the kids were all afternoon playing because that was the cool place to be. My favorite part, though, of living in University Park was living next to an area that we called the woods. The woods, as we called them, was a large wooded area full of acres of timber, brush, wild rabbits, and occasionally some deer, and plenty of small creeks and small rolling hills. It was a boy's dream come true. Countless adventures took place in the woods. And as I look back, I've, I think at least eight world wars were waged in the woods. Narrow escapes from wild savages and fort building like you would not believe. And of course, highly classified discussions about Brenda Allen and Christy Chase, two of the cutest girls in the second grade at Grant Elementary School. Every Sunday afternoon, though, we would have to end whichever world war we were waging. We'd have to ask the wild sav savages to take a break. And we'd have to put our fort building on hold because at 3 o'clock p.m. every Sunday was Kids Club. Now, Kids Club was held in the basement of the home of Mr. and Mrs. Cox. Mr. and Mrs. Cox were retired missionaries who had committed their lives to serving the people of Burundi, Africa. And week after week, this group of kids, we would all meet for Kids Club to hear story after story about missionaries around the world and the people whose lives had been impacted by the good news of Jesus Christ through their ministry. It was a blast. Of course, at the end of the time, we'd always had Oreos and watered-down Kool-Aid, so that kind of sealed the deal for us. I remember, though, having it nurtured into my very understanding of life as a boy who loved Jesus, that if I was truly committed to my journey with Christ and I had no other choice but to serve him with every part of my life, to be a Christian meant that I must tell others about the good news of Jesus Christ. The reason I was in University Park is because that's where Vanard College was, and my dad, in his uh, late 30s, was a student there preparing for ministry. I grew up in the, phone, the home of a family who had committed their lives to evangelism. We traveled around together as a family, singing and preaching and doing children's ministry in small churches across Northern America. So as I observed the life of my parents, and as I went to Kids Club, I couldn't justify calling myself a Christian and then sit by and do nothing about it. It just made perfect sense to me. That's what it meant to be a Christian. So it wasn't a shock or even a traumatic moment when I felt God speaking to my heart in a very real way one afternoon in the basement of the home of Mr. and Mrs. Cox. A college student had just returned from spending her summer in Japan as a volunteer where she helped teach English as a second language. I don't remember the girl's name. I don't even remember what she looks like. I just remember the story she told and how it impacted my life. She said to us, she said, boys and girls, did you know that over 100 million people live in the country of Japan? 
and less than 2% of those people have ever even heard the name of Jesus, let alone accepted him as their savior, as a savior. She continued to ask us this comp compelling question. She said, how are those millions of lost people going to hear the message that Jesus loves them unless somebody goes and tells them? It was in that moment as a child that I experienced what I could only describe as a call from God. I mean, how could I justify there in that room sitting there, listening to whichever missionary of the week was there to talk about their story so that I could just finish up and go eat some Oreos, drink some Kool-Aid, and go back to fort building. How could I do that all the while knowing that people around the world were entering eternity without Christ? I mean, it's almost like sitting on your couch, flipping through the channels with your remote, while watching thousands of lives vanish into an ocean by the devastation of a tsunami or sitting on your TV for days and days waiting for whichever agency to respond to the catastrophic havoc wreaked upon the southern part of the US by a hurricane, all the while doing nothing about it. Who could sit there and do nothing? Not you. I've heard about the ways that this school has responded. Not me. That college student that day, she sacrificed one summer of her life a snapshot of her life. That student impacted me in an unmistakable and irreversible way. Okay, jump ahead with me to 2005, to the life of another six-year-old who is probably equally as imaginative as I was, no doubt, and we'll call her Allison, largely because that's what her name is. Allison's mom helps train children whose parents are preparing to serve as missionaries with the Church of the Nazarene. Every uh, six months or so, people who have gone through the process of um, the candidate process of becoming a missionary in the Church of the Nazarene, some of those folks are invited to come to World Mission headquarters in Kansas City, where they spend five to six months of training um, before they go to the mission field as mission, missionary interns. Many of them have children. And Allison's mom helps train those kids, preparing them for what it means to be a child in ministry a child in a cross-cultural setting, and what it means to be a third culture kid. So every six months or so, Allison gets to meet this whole new group of people who have committed their lives to an exciting venture of changing the world for Christ. Her dad works for World Mission Mobilization Center, traveling around the world, talking to young people, teenagers, college students, young adults, motivating them and mobilizing them to serve through short-term missions. So for the past two years, Allison has been exposed to hundreds of college students from over 13 different countries who have said yes to God's call on their life to serve. I remember this last year, sitting in a room with 125 college students, and it hit me. Every single person in that room has said yes. There was no trying to compel them or sell them or try to motivate them. They had all done it. They said, yes, we want to go. And here's Allison, the six-year-old, watching this. In Matthew 28, a very familiar passage, the climax of Jesus' earthly ministry unfolds in epic proportions. Jesus had been crucified and buried in a secured tomb for two days. The two Marys were on their way to the tomb when God's angel came down in front of them and rolled the stone that sealed the tomb away. I love the part where it says, after the angel rolled the stone away, he sat on the stone like it had exhausted him. Um, I just always find that entertaining. At the end of the chapter, Jesus appears before his disciples again to make sure that they capture what his life is really about. Also entertaining to me, 
These are the folks who just committed 24-7 to this leader, this Christ, to see everything he had done, the people he touched, the miracles that had been worked, the words of wisdom and holiness that had been preached from his mouth. They'd seen and witnessed it all. And even after the resurrection, Jesus appeared to them again just to make sure the deal was sealed, that they really knew what was going on. In verse 16 of the message, we read this. Matthew 28, verse 16. says this. The eleven disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus, undeterred, went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you. Go out and train everyone you meet, far and near, in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, and I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the very end of the age. So while it wasn't traumatic to me, I was caught completely off guard when at a recent missions conference, my little girl, Allison, responded to the missionary's call to come forward to an altar prayer if you were an individual who felt God calling you to serve as a missionary. I mean, even as she unreservedly stepped out of our row of seats, I grabbed her arm and asked her, where are you going? She looked at me as if to say, where do you think? <laughs> she then looked at my wife and I and said, God wants me to be a missionary, so I need to go up front and pray about it. Growing up in that small, sheltered community, I guess I always grew up believing that every Christian, like this six-year-old, would just jump at the chance to commit their life to serving God if given the chance. But even in the story we read in Scripture just a moment ago about the events immediately following Jesus' resurrection, we can see that my innocent childhood assumptions were not always accurate. In verse 17, we read, The moment they saw him, they worshipped him. Some, though, held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. That amazed me because after all they'd seen and witnessed and been a part of, I mean, these were the chosen ones that had been closest to him. And still, still they were not sure about risking themselves totally. It's when I read things like this, and it's... It's actually when I think about my kids' club experience, listening to a college student share about people who need Christ. It's when I release my six-year-old six daughter's hand to allow her to respond to the King of Kings, who's calling her to serve. It's in these moments that life becomes very real and very, very urgent. It's in these moments that I realize that while not everyone is willing to drop whatever it is that they're holding on to in life to serve the triumphant Christ, when I look at this by myself, I see that it's about me. It's about me being obedient, about me making that choice. And then, of course, it's ultimately about him. It's about Jesus calling all of us to reach those who are lost and desperate for hope. It's about you. Every day, you have a decision to make. Are you going to worship him with all of your life? Are you going to risk everything? Are you going to respond to this commission 
of Christ himself to go out and share the story of Jesus far and near. Ultimately, it's about us collectively, a community. It's about us saying, this is who we are. This is what we're about. We have a purpose statement hanging as we exit this room that says this is what Nazarene Bible College is about. Well, this is what we are about as Christians, a community. No more messing around. No more going through the motions of life Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday, going through the weekend. It's about us responding and acting on the call of God to experience his world and to make an impact. It's about him. It's about you. It's about us. We have a video that um, actually was prepared by a college student. And as we look at the students who share their testimony, their experience of just one way of participating in missions and sharing this good news, listen to what they say as we, um, as we consider what it is that God wants us to do. Watch with me on this video. the burning desire to answer God's call. This is what it's all about. It's about God working through you to advance his kingdom. This is your opportunity to encounter God. Experience his character. Express through the people you meet and the places you go. Discovering a mission that changes you. It's about you playing a vital role in his work. Sacrificing time, money, and comfort for a greater reward of changing lives. A time of devoted ministry. Learning, serving, and living a compassionate lifestyle. It's about us as a people. A community reaching out in a fresh way. It's about him. It's about you. It's about us. You will never know until you experience. love being shared, not just by us, but, but to us. He's a God who uses his people, despite imperfections, um, to do his work. Youth and Mission is a life-changing experience. You just have to take that leap of faith and just jump off the cliff and do something that's totally reckless and know that God's saying, it's all right, I got this one. It's hard to go somewhere like that and realize that there are people that haven't even heard the name of Christ. I want to go serve God in an exotic country doing incredible things that will change my life and the other people's lives from now into eternity. He's constantly transforming our lives. That's what holiness is all about. People were touched and so was I. I saw them ministering to us a whole lot uh, with their unbelievable generosity and their genuine love. You could see a change in their life that they knew that something was different about us. We shared love and they shared love with us. If you never ever even try, you're never going to know. The growth and the learning that you do in this is worth any expense and any sacrifice. It was really incredible just to watch and see all that God's doing there. 
That's what his kingdom is all about, is serving. Youth and mission is faith building. Be willing to serve. That's when we see the power of God. It's about him. It's about you. It's about us. So the response, what does this have to do with me? There's a few ways that you can respond. First of all, I think everyone in here knows somebody that's age 18 to 25 who is at a point in their life where they could say, I could go on a team ministry like that. I could do that. If you know somebody like that and like more information, we have some information at the back, but I'd love to talk with you. Maybe you have an email address or contact information that you could share with us. Or maybe that's you. Maybe you're saying, I want to go. I want to do this. Every time I hear somebody talk about going, I want to do it. If that's you, I'd love to help you get connected. Whether through youth and mission, our team-based ministry, or through Mission Corps, where you go as an individual or as a married couple or even as a family, there's opportunities for you to go. And then thirdly, is for you to pray and commit your life to supporting those who are going. All of us can be involved in missions through that way as well. We're going to um, close our time together in a song in just a moment. But before we do that, I'd like to pray with you and just ask God's blessing upon this time together. Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your presence and your call in our life and for allowing us to serve you. We're blessed to be your people. We're blessed to answer your call. In your name, amen.